0: Hi everybody, I'm Ronald Hughes, and here's my co-host, Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Hello, Walden. Hi, everybody. We have a special guest with us tonight, and I'm so excited that we're going to be able to talk with her. It's Mary McDonough. That's a name you might not recognize immediately, but if I say Erin Walton, you're going to jump up and say, I know who you're talking about. Erin um, was one of the seven Walton children who grew up on Walton's Mountain during the Depression in the early years of World War II. Today, um, Mary is no longer Erin. She uh, continues to be an actress. She's a writer, producer, activist. We need to talk about that. And mentor for people who attend her workshops, and we'll talk about that as well. Mary, we're so delighted to have you tonight. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. Mary, you have a new book out titled Lessons from the Mountain, What I Learned from Erin Walton, which I think is a wonderful title. I mean, it's about as catchy as you can possibly get. And if anyone has even heard of the Walton (laughs) name, they're going to be out there on the line to buy it. I have that. It's available through KensingtonBooks.com. I did visit the site, and there you are up there. Mm -hmm. Um, Amazon has the book, Barnes & Noble. I guess you're in all of the major... Mm -hmm. It's on my website, marymcdonough.com. Thank you very much. Okay. Um, I didn't realize, shame on me, I even visited there. I didn't realize that um, people could buy it through you. Well, sometimes people want them personally signed. So People kept saying... Should I ship it to you or can I just get it from you? So I have it up there so people can have things like happy Mother's Day, happy birthday, happy graduation, you know. How neat you're going to autograph it for them. That makes it really special. Do you try to Mary or Erin? Both. <laughs> I, love I it. answer to both. Oh, I love it. it. Mary, could we start at the beginning? I put these questions together in as cogent an order as I could, but you've got so much territory to cover hope you'll forgive me if I sound like I'm splintering off in different areas. Would you start at the beginning of your career and your time with the Waltons that came at the same time? You were chosen for the role of Aaron in The Homecoming, which preceded the series of The Waltons. How did you land the role of Aaron? I had an agent, and I had never gone on an audition before. I was a have wanted to get into the industry and fell into a legitimate agent finally. And they were looking for kids with red hair and freckles. And I got my first audition just because of that, nothing else. And they were seeing hundreds and hundreds of kids for the homecoming. And I went on my first audition and I kept getting called back. And they brought us back five or six times and they kept narrowing it down. And the last time they brought us in, they introduced us to Fielder Cook, the director, and Richard Thomas as John Boy, and told us that we had the part. And there you were. And there it was. My dad said it was like buying your first ticket to the Irish Reap Snakes (laughs) and (laughs) winning. How sweet. You and your dad had a special and unusual relationship. I really would like to talk about your family a little bit as well. You are one of five children. Four. You had two older brothers and a sister, and you, of course. Yes. Of course. <laughs> yeah. when you said middle, I you. I, I well, confused. I'm in the middle in all families. I'm in the middle of the Watsons family, so Aaron and Mary are both middle children. And you fit right into the role, then. You didn't have to learn anything about the role. I oh, don't know. I suffered all the consequences. Very <laughs> time. Tell us a little bit about growing up. Now, you were 10 years old when you suddenly became Aaron. But you had a family life. You've got siblings, your parents, um, Irish Catholic upbringing. This was a whole different ball game for you. It was. I was really literally lifted out of my parochial school and dropped into a Hollywood family and the, the Walton family. And I ended up spending more time with the Walton kids and family than I did my own. My whole life changed. It just seemed like in one day. Uh, Some of those changes were good, and some of those changes were very difficult for you. That is true. Some of them, being, you know, in a new situation was a little different for me because I wasn't really an actor. Everybody else had worked before, Mm -hmm. so I didn't really know what to do, and it was really confusing to me, and I was trying to be perfect and do everything right, and I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I got very confused along the way. I ended up making some bad choices from all of that confusion growing up, but um, most of the time I just kept everything secret and hidden and didn't even ask questions because I was afraid to look foolish. And um, but also it was a lot of fun. There was a lot of love. Everything was new. We got to learn new life and things about animals and milking a cow and the depression and wearing all these clothes and running around barefoot and dirty and got to have a whole new family so there's a lot of it that was really really fun too and the book really talks about the great memories and the wonderful people that I was exposed to and the great lessons that I learned from not only the the wonderful people that I worked with who became my family but also the incredible stories that the show had to offer people which made their mark on me, just like they have, you know, all the people who have watched the show over the years. Mary, every Walton show had a lesson, not only for the family in the show, not only for the Waltons, but for people who were watching to come away with. What kind of lessons did you learn along the way when you were performing in these scripts? Wow, we learned so many lessons. Not only did we learn about history... Will Deer played grandpa, and he taught us about farming, and, and he really planted all of, all of the vegetables that were in the, the set garden, and we learned about botany from him. We I learned about I, um, a bar mitzvah from one of the episodes. I, we learned about about uh, book burnings, and the Bible, and songs in church, and we learned about old cars and like milking cows and riding mules and all kinds of things that you know that brought so many lessons but i think ultimately we also learned all the values that the show taught and about being a family and getting through adversity and uniting together with your family through tough times and a sense of community Oh, that's really interesting. Um, we, I think you probably know that yesterday USA is uh, focuses not exclusively, but focuses on old time radio, much of which centered on the Depression years and the years right afterward. And one of the things that we talk about periodically is this sense of community and caring among neighbors that we don't have today. And it sounds like this is what you're talking about with the Waltons. It is. I mean, uh, it's, people tell me every day, and every book signing I go to, I, there aren't any shows like this. That's a time in America that we really miss. It's a time that we really aspire to really be like, where where people were joined together. You know, we had Ike Godsey, and we had our minister, and we had the people in the town, be they be they good, you know, negative, bad, positive. We all united together and everybody stood by each other, uh, even when Yancey Tucker burned our barn down. You know, and the and, and the Balmolais were making the recipe. The Waltons were people who also embraced other cultures, different religions, and different types of people. And I think that's such a universal le- lesson about like the brotherhood of mankind. And that was that was a very big lesson for me as well. Social and moral. We're talking about here, which we don't normally get on television or in anything any longer. Not so much. No, people miss it. You know, that's really interesting you said that because my next question was going to be what was the great appeal of the Waltons to a group of, or an audience that wasn't accustomed to this way of life? And why don't we have it now? Why don't we have this great kind of program to have it? And I think, you know, there's a whole group of Walton fan clubs and, you know, we always talk about the Walton way. Mm-hmm. There's the Walton way and and I think that people do aspire to it, but I I don't think that we have to go back to a different time and I don't think we have to go back to a particular show. I think we we have become a little frightened in the way and have stopped ourselves from having that sense of the Walton way in our own neighborhoods. I mean, my neighbors, I'm very much like that, so we borrow sugar and we know each other and we keep an eye out for each other and we watch out for each other's kids but a lot of people just you know they want it in a tv show but i think the show also for people who didn't have a family it gave them one for people who did have a family it reminded them of their family and it just it just set up a way for people to relate in so many ways and i only hope that people take that message and and bring it into their communities There are an awful lot of people who took it and are taking it into their families, which I guess naturally translates to communities. Mary, how did your siblings? You've got two brothers and a sister. Did I get that correct? Mm -hmm. Two brothers and a sister, and you are suddenly on television. How did that play with the other three? (laughs) I, I, I don't know if any of them are ever over it. It was odd. Now, I think for my, you know, my brothers always joked, you know, I, they were they were sort of basketball stars, you know, so I was always being dragged around to their basketball games. And and it was funny because at one point my brother, you know, he w- wouldn't admit that I was his sister. <laughs> <laughs> People go, hey, you know, you have an interesting, unusual name. It's like the name of that girl. Oh, no, really? No, I don't know her. No. Are you, sure you related to her? Oh, no, 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 not at all. Yes, <laughs> I I am really surprised at that one. I'm just going to leave it at that. I'm surprised at that. He was very shy, and he was a star in his own right, and it was, it was all very funny to me. Okay, so you, you could have stolen some of his spotlight then. Oh, I don't know, maybe. I think more than anything, he just didn't want to answer questions about it. I think it was just, you know, sort of, it was an odd thing, and I really had to get to know my own family after the show ended. That's really interesting. Um, How are they doing with it today? Oh, my gosh. My brothers are, are just amazing. They adore me. I have the most amazing relationship with them. I feel so lucky to have them. <laughs> my end, don't worry about that one. He's totally over it. And as a matter of fact, I think he was the first one to order the book online. <laughs> and now he tells everybody. Because he's uh, not so shy anymore. <laughs> oh, that's so sweet. Did you sign it for him? No. You know, that would be weird. <laughs> But I know he's told everybody, and, and they're very proud, and they're all they're all very supportive, and it's really great. So I'm happy to hear that. Mary, I want to talk for a minute about the homecoming, which was the genesis of the Waltons. It was the um, the television special, and Edgar Bergen was Grandpa Walton in the- that particular one. Is that correct? That is correct. Tell me about working with Edgar Bergen, who is remembered as a comedian ventriloquist by the audience we have because of old-time radio. Well, yes, Charlie McCarthy. Uh-huh. He was really amazing. We didn't know Edgar Bergen as Edgar Bergen. He was the man who played our grandpa. and and we had there's a wonderful story in the book about how um, Edgar, gave us a Halloween present because we were filming and we had to fly on the airplane to um, Jacksonville, Wyoming, and he heard that we had missed Halloween, so he called us all to the lobby at the hotel, and uh, he gave but us he, a very special performance. Actually, he and Charlie McCarthy did. And Patricia Neal was there, and we all watched, and it was it was quite wild to see him pull uh, Charlie out of a suitcase. You were only 10 years old at the time. I was. And that means you might not have known Charlie McCarthy, were you? I had no idea. My you mother, had no idea? was beside herself. She was so excited and she kept nudging me. She is, had to, her eyes were as big as saucers because she was going to see something that she had heard on television, on the radio, all of her life. She was going to see it in person. And so she, she was so excited and had to explain to me later why it was such, a, it was such an, amazing, an amazing event. Did he move his lips? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did watch. I <laughs> oh, did. Because we kept saying, like, you know what, we could kind of see him move a little bit. <laughs> yeah, well, a little bit is good. We, we talk every once in a while about the ventriloquists who had radio shows, which is <laughs> uh, really a puzzle to begin with and uh, they didn't have to worry about their lips moving on radio, but they did when they had an audience. Yeah, yeah. That's cute. You wrote in the book that there were close bonds um, and what you wrote is the close bonds are one of the reasons I think that the cast was successful. We really were a family. Actually, we really are a family. Talk about the atmosphere on the set and why you think everyone came so close together. I think part of it was because we were in this extraordinary circumstance. We were all taken from our families and thrown in together, spending more time with each other. I remember Michael learned feeling bad about her sons at home because she was spending all this time with us. And I think we were torn about those things, so we made the best of it. We also literally had a family, you know, which is sort of similar to you know the times back then of the multi-generational home. And... We had grandparents. Will was like a grandpa. Ellen didn't have children of her own, and she adopted us as her grandchildren. We called her grandma until we were older. And then we had our parents, and then we had each other. So I think we all really bonded together, and we became like a family, and those relationships and that that special time together just brings you together and bonds you forever. And, And, you know, I had my first book signing a couple weeks ago, and everybody came. Really? hmm oh, 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 that must have been really – were you aware that they were going to come? Yeah, I invited them all. So they, but they came. And they are like the book, so it's a lot easier. Which is quadruply nice because they're all mentioned. In it. Mm-hmm. That, that is really great. So you were uh, a family and you played one on TV. We still are a family. And you still are. You got how many people within that group do you still stay in touch with? All of them. I just really? produced, yeah, I, I just produced for Inspiration Network, which runs the show every day, a, a reunion special, and I called everybody up and said, hey, I have this idea, they wanted to do you know, this thing, and I wanted to do this thing, so I co-produced the special and sort of hosted it, and we all took a look back and did a tribute to Ellen and Will and looked back at... Um, clips from the show and and reminisced about it and it was really wonderful so we, we do I mean I talk to everybody all the time that is really touching I don't recall ever hearing someone associated with a show that had so many people and formed relationships on the show like that maintaining that kind of a relationship You know, I I don't either. I was really surprised when I started working on other television shows and doing Uh episodics. Literally, when we were kids, all six of us and our parents or our guardian, whoever was watching us, we all went to lunch together at the same place every day. You know, trying to hurt six kids in and six kids out in one hour, trying (laughs) to have lunch at different places in Burbank where we filmed. And I just, yeah, it's, it is unusual because when I would go, I started to go on other shows, and at lunchtime I would wonder, oh, I wonder where everybody's having lunch. And they'd all scoot off into their dressing rooms or into their cars, and they'd leave alone. And I thought, well, that's odd. They're not having lunch together. <laughs> this isn't the way I learned how to do it. Well, I was very naive. <laughs> well, She was, but it, it was a nice, it was a nice thing to learn first. It was. I had the best role models and wonderful examples growing up. I really like that. I'm going to ask you about some of the people you worked with in a couple of minutes. I've mentioned... before we got on the air that I was going to go through a list and you said you would let me surprise you with which ones are on the list. Uh (laughs) So That'll be fun. We're talking with Mary McDonough, who was Erin Walton on the Waltons, one of the seven Walton children who grew up on Walton's Mountain. I I just love that. The name of her new book is Lessons from the Mountain, What I Learned from Erin Walton. It's available at kensingtonbooks.com, all of your regular outlets, including amazon.com, and Mary's website at marymcdonough.com. Easy enough. So please take a look at it. It is a great book. I, I went from cover to cover, Mary. Did you? I did. I really did. I mean, gosh, who could stop? (laughs) Oh, thank you. It's a nice read. It is is a very nice read. And the the further I got into it, the more I wanted to read and keep turning pages. And when I got to the latter part of it, of course, uh, there was a lot about your work uh, mentoring and with um, people and causes that relate to lupus. Um, so many of the other things and I want to be able to talk about that so I'll make sure that we have room at the end to to talk about those because I know they're important to you and they sure are important to me great the 11 years you spent as Erin were not necessarily for you personally as happy as Erin appeared on the show can we talk a little bit about the kinds of challenges you went through as you were growing up yeah I, I went through a lot of different challenges, um, personally, mentally, physically. Erin was thought of as the pretty one, and that was new to me because I was just me. And suddenly I felt this pressure to be perfect, and I felt I had to get perfect grades, and I had to learn my lines perfectly, and I had to act perfectly, and I had to know everything that was going on, even though I had no idea. I was absolutely clueless. I put a lot of pressure on myself, and I didn't ask questions, and I kept all of my fears secret and hidden, which made me very depressed at times, and I would just cry alone at night. And I ended, ended up getting uh, an ulcer and developing insomnia, and I had rashes across my, my scalp, and, and when my parents, the doctor asked my parents. Is there anything wrong? Is there any kind of stress that she's under? And my parents said, absolutely not. I mean, she's the luckiest girl in the world. So I never felt like I could really tell people how I felt. So the more I kept it hidden, the harder it got. And and there were a lot of really difficult times trying to figure out like what my value was because Erin was in beauty contests, which she always lost, by the way. So And then people would whisper to me, like, you're the pretty one but don't tell the other girls, it'll hurt their feelings. And I thought, what? Well, that must be a bad thing then. Being pretty is bad. But then I got pressure from wardrobe people to be thin. And, you know, did I fit into my clothes from last season or had I gained more weight? And just a normal teenage adolescent growing, I just felt that there was something really wrong with me and I carried around a dark cloud, which caused me to make some really bad choices. Ultimately, I was, you know, had a hole inside. And I was trying to fill it. So when the show ended, I was always trying to fill it by trying to get approval from everybody and my industry. And there was just a body image expectation that I just couldn't live up to without doing radical diets and abusing myself. And then later on, I made a bad decision for me personally to have silicone gel breast implants thinking that that would make me fit in with my industry and keep working and not be typecast. And it ended up making me very, very sick and they disintegrated in my chest and the silicone spread through my system and I was um, diagnosed with lupus eventually. I had all kinds of symptoms and got very, very ill and over the course of 10 years went to rounds of doctors and finally was diagnosed with lupus so i had them out and started to get better and then really found my voice by becoming a citizen activist and and um and citizen lobbyist in washington dc for women's health issues and lupus being one of those i really want to spend some time talking about that in just a little bit mary because not not only because you and i are talking here but because what we are talking about is so incredibly important I understand what you're telling me, walking around with symptoms for 10 years and not having anyone be able to say, oh, I know exactly what it is. Let's run these tests. It's, it's one of those silent disorders, silent in the sense that you don't look sick. It is. That's exactly it. People would say, well, you're crazy. You better go to a shrink. Uh-huh. Well, you don't look sick. There's nothing mm, wrong yep. with you. Or behind your back. She's always going to doctors. I wonder what's wrong with the rest of her. And it it is, as I said, it's a silent disorder. You know it's there. It's making a whole lot of noise in your body and your head. But other people can't see it, and it's a constellation of unusual symptoms. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very hard to diagnose. Things. Now, I know, it's a little bit easier, but I went to rounds of doctors for different ailments, and they just kept treating all the different things, from the rash across my face to my hair falling out to chronic fatigue to joint stiffness and muscle pain to having fevers and you know you you start treating all these different symptoms instead Mm -hmm. of putting it together as to what it could possibly be yeah well we're going to talk about the activist work that you're involved in and the time that you have spent in washington trying to convince people that they need to pay attention to some of the things that are not getting in focus that they should be i have a long question about the Waltons in general. The Walton children grew and grew up during the life of the show without losing the character and personality of the show or their own characters and personalities. That's something that doesn't happen in a lot of shows, and the one that came into my head was My Three Sons. When the oldest son got married and had children of his own, they imported a younger child, and said okay we're going to adopt him i think his name was ernie so they suddenly had three kids back in the house and they could talk about my three sons that didn't happen with the waltons you grew up you had different experiences the show remained intact the family was intact how did that come about and why could the waltons make it happen and other shows couldn't I think because we actually grew with the show, and they they tailored some things to how we really were. You know, um, John Wamsley is a musician, a musician, so they had Jason play piano, and they incorporated that into the show. You know, Judy rode horses, and so Mary Ellen and I did the run and ride race and we we really incorporated a lot. It wasn't until the very end where I think the show got really scattered where they did start to bring in kids because they thought, oh, Elizabeth isn't little and cute anymore. Let's bring in these other children. And they they did bring in some other kids and stuff, which I thought it got very diluted. Mm -hmm. I think that at the beginning when we all started to grow and change, they really trusted it. But as Ralph and Michael and Richard left the show, instead of letting us grow up and actually be the adults, in the show, they stopped trusting. And it did change the show a bit. But ultimately, the, the the original element of it was that they adapted to who we were. Like like me and Eric. Uh, Aaron was actually younger than Ben, but when I got taller than Eric, they made Aaron older. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that they had actually done that transformation. Yeah. Um, how, how, how did they get away with that? Well, it, you know, people... They just sort, of, it just sort of happened. They never really gave us a birthday. We didn't have our characters' birthdays, but suddenly my storyline started to get where I was a little bit older and I got closer to Mary Ellen and we were doing things, you know. How interesting! Creative writing. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, we never said like Ben's older, but then all of a sudden I was taller, so suddenly my, you know, storyline changed a little bit. And we just, they just adapted to who we were. Rather than trying to force the characters into a mold, yeah. was malleable. It, it, it could be manipulated. Yeah, I mean, and Erin was the middle character, so she dealt with a lot of storylines about me that being the middle daughter. God was the oldest. He dealt with, you know, storylines about being the oldest son and what that was like. Mm-hmm. So it was that very, was, very real based on, you know, the situation. It felt like a real family, and if I'm hearing you correctly, you're telling me it felt the same way from the inside. Mm-hmm. It did. I mean, we had our, we didn't, we didn't have a lot of fights, you know, people always want to say, oh, you know, is the book all salacious? and I said, no, it's not, it's, a, it's actually a very nice tribute to the show, and... And, I, you know, I just thought it was time for something positive because my experience was pretty positive. I did have my own personal confusions and challenges along the way, mm-hmm. but ultimately the show really was a, a wonderful family experience. And while we didn't really fight and none of us really dated, although, you know, Ellen did take John and Eric to the awards show one time, but <laughs> as their grandma. <laughs> I think that was acceptable. Yeah, I mean we didn't have you <laughs> well, there wasn't a lot of scandal. I mean we were working really hard, and there there were no personal relationships as you just said in the sense of um, of romance or kind of sneaking off and having a date on the side. No, but, uh, we didn't. We all hung out together all the time. We probably got sick of each other, but I mean, we were very affectionate with each other. And, and more like Hollywood siblings than siblings' siblings. I mean, we we would, you know, all of us, we'd lay all over the couch in between shots and hang all over each other. There's a favorite picture that I have of Cammie and Judy and me, and we're in the Godsey store, and we must have been there for a very long time, and I'm sure they were rounding us up to take photos, and I love the picture because I am like, my arm is just laying on top of Cammie's back
1: because they have
0: her on her side, mm-hmm. on the counter, and I thought, I'm just laying across her. <laughs> but it was just so natural for us to just kind of be be close that way. An, an unposed pose. Yeah. And I think I, I just got bored, so I kind of like put my head down on her <laughs> and laid my <laughs> arm across her back. <laughs> That's cute. Mary, one of the things that you wrote about were the dinner scenes. Oh, yeah. Would you talk a little bit about the dinner scenes? It just blew me away. I never even gave it any consideration. <laughs> you know, what you had to go through at the dinner table. You mean the cold, coagulated food oh, you know, and cold? that we had to eat all day? Yes, yes, yes. That's yes, kind of we, went, we went a little slap happy during those dinner table scenes. and. You know, we always were all around the table. So it was a long day with a lot of shots, with a lot of people eating a lot of cold food. And I got wise at some point. I stopped eating and just only drank milk and took bites of buttered bread. (laughs) But uh, we had a lot of fun at that table. It was very irreverent at times. And we laughed, and we laughed probably too much, and we lost control. But then, you know, we looked down and and Ellen Corby would give us the stern grandma look and we'd all we'd all buck up. Could she be a stern lady? Yes. She was very much like grandma except she was a lot more fun. But she did teach us a lot and she did keep us in line just like she was a grandma. I love it. Mary, I did not realize, you can tell I'm not a member of your industry with these questions I'm asking you, I didn't realize that you had to do everything twice for different shots. So if you ate a bowl of soup, you had to eat another bowl of soup at least twice. Because if we did, yeah, there's a master shot where... They establish everything, and you see everybody in that shot. Then they go in for a close-up of Ralph. Then they go in for a two-shot of me and Michael. So you have to do the exact same thing you did in the master. Then if they do a shot of that half of the table, you have to do, do the exact same thing and eat the exact same thing again. So that's three times. And then if they do it, you know, it just depends on how many shots you're in. And as many as you're in, you have to eat the exact same thing every time. And do it in precisely the same way. Yep. Uh, if, if from from the, the watcher, from the audience standpoint, it simply looks like they were using multiple cameras. Like they were shooting the same shot. Oh, uh, I wish. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't like the show now where they have five cameras going and they're all moving at the same time. Yeah. And no, we really, like, we usually only had one camera. The only time we ever brought in second cameras were for really big crowd scenes or church scenes. Oh, I thought... <laughs> and tell me, tell me about the um, chipped beef. Oh, I don't ever eat chipped beef again. We had a, a prop man, and they used to know what we would like, you know, what, what, what to have, and we had some staples all the time. But somehow we got this new guy who just decided that we should be eating chip beef because it would be, I don't even know why, probably because it was really cheap to make and we didn't have a big budget. And it was the worst thing. When it was hot, it was horrible. But when it sat under the lights in your plate, in your bowl for five hours, and then you had to eat it later, it was disgusting. And we refused To ever have chip beef again, (laughs) I'm astounded that you all managed to get through that particular day having to swallow that amount of awful stuff. Uh, I bet if you watch the episode, there's probably hardly any of it left, except for poor Michael Rupert. I think he had to eat it because he was supposed to be starving, and we had (laughs) taken him in. Oh, Oh. I felt so bad for him because it was awful. He was one of the poor starving children. Do you remember what the episode was? Because we've got people out here listening. Who have copies of all of the okay, shows? Okay, my my guess is going to be that it's the boy from the CCC camp. Okay, I think that's what you identified it as in the book. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. We'll send them to the CCC camp and see yes, if they, they everybody can count on well my them. Facebook fan page and let me know if I'm right. <laughs> okay. And I'll have them write to you and let you know that they know how awful the food was exactly. that you to eat. Exactly. Well, we have a lot of fun on that Facebook fan page. People write all kinds of funny things, and sometimes I don't know the answer, and I'll say, anyone? It just happened today, as a matter of fact. It's kind of fun. What happened? Well, who asked what, and you needed help with? Oh, what was it? Somebody asked about if Peggy Ray... Who came in later to play our aunt rose was also the woman who rented the apartment to mary ellen and aaron when they moved out and i said i thought that that was right but i wasn't sure and sure enough everybody else knows way better than i do and they came in and said yes indeed it was (laughs) oh my goodness well you know how serious your watchers and your audience were about this well, yeah, very loyal and wonderful fans. Oh, and it's I know we the have show a couple. So and... Incredible. It's just a, it's an honor to have been a part of. We have a couple of really diehard Walton fans in our regular group of people who tend who tend to lean toward radio. But my gosh, when you say Walton's, everybody's face lights up. Well, we do have the radio we had on the show that we listen to in almost every episode, and that radio is actually at the Smithsonian. Ah, how interesting! Was there a particular show that was more favored that that they they tuned in on when the radio was playing? Oh, it was always um, *Starburgen* and *Molly*. It was that was the irony, wasn't it? (laughs) And it was Charlie McCarthy, and you know, it was Edgar. It was Edgar and Charlie McCarthy and Fibber McGee and Molly. I, I was hoping that that's what you would say. Yes. Uh, because I mean, Was that one of your trick questions? No. <laughs> the Saturday night show that Walden and I do focuses on Fibber McGee and Molly. So, <laughs> Well, but I we did have that. With, and then the, the other thing were, you know, were the news broadcasts, when the Roosevelt would... Uh, President Roosevelt would come on. Those were interesting. And then, of course, when we got interested as kids, um, we did a show called The Abdication. And it was, um, you know, they played the the speech, you know, about Wallace Simpson. Mm -hmm. And and we, we didn't know what that was. But then we realized that this was the actual speech that we got to hear. And it was a part of history. So another lesson. And in such a neat way. Not having to sit in a classroom in a chair listening to somebody preach about it. You actually got to hear these things. Oh, yeah, it was amazing. That is so cool. You had a special relationship with a couple of cast members, more special, I think, than perhaps some of the others. Will Gear, for example, Grandpa Walton. Um, you talked a little bit about how he influenced you and taught you, and if it's okay to talk about the special Christmas gift he gave you, I'd love to hear about that, too. <laughs> I don't know. It might be too racy. Uh, <laughs> go ahead. The book is not <laughs> salacious at all, but there are some funny things. Now, and everybody knows Will was an old hippie. You know, he was really just an old hippie. He lived in, you know, Topanga Canyon, and, and he was blacklisted. So he... He was never an angry, bitter person about it, but he loved that he was Grandpa Walton, and he taught a lot of lessons about life, and, and he was very free, to say the least, and very organic and earthy, and I was raised, you know, very strict Catholic, and, and Will gave me a Christmas gift one year because he thought that my mother was not teaching me about the beauty of the body, <laughs> the natural body. So he kind of pulled me aside and said, I have a little extra present for you, but don't show your parents. I just think that you're not getting a good education at home about how beautiful the body can be. Which ultimately, if I had listened and probably not hid the book and, you know, if I had really listened, it probably would have helped me with a lot of my own body image issues and really trying to embrace myself. And, you know, once again, one of the lessons from Will that took me years to learn. You know, and, and something that I teach now in my workshops is about embracing your body and, you know, your muffin top and all of that sort of thing. So, <laughs> so this was a really special gift. And do you still have it? Oh, I do. I do. It's <laughs> and it's funny because it's the only book he ever gave me that he didn't sign. <laughs> <laughs> that he did not sign? No, he did not put his name on it. I think he was afraid my parents were like <laughs> If If your dad found it, he was toast oh my dad would have gone through the roof i i understand what i tell you i understand mary i understand okay <laughs> i got it <laughs> i got it i smiled all the way through those parts and not only because they were amusing but because they resurrected some some memories on my end too oh yes. i'm so glad oh yes <laughs> they did i mean it's really neat when a book can reach out and touch someone and really resurrect some empathetic responses. That's a good thing. Oh, thank you. I know. It's been really nice. I mean, and and not just for women, but also men. And people are sharing their stories about I think I think the things that I went through, what I learned was that they were very universal. I felt alone at the time. And since I kept them hidden, it made it worse. But once one of the biggest lessons was about sharing it, which is why I do talk openly about my own self-esteem issues and my body image issues, because I don't want anybody to feel as frightened or as scared as I did, and trying to strive to be perfect, because there is no such thing. And it is a universal theme, and I found out that I wasn't alone. I just happened to be doing it on television. But everybody feels the same, and we're all connected. And you do it beautifully in the book. Thank you, thank you. It really is very well done, Mary. You had some significant losses during the life of that show. Ellen Corby had a devastating stroke and did return, came back with some limitations that were accommodated or incorporated into the stories. Still, you had a a really significant absence there for a long time. Shortly after that, Will Gear died. I mean, these were really hard, hard, those are two words, hard with a D and heart, with a T, um, catastrophic events for, for you and so many others. How did the cast and how did you deal with all of that? It was difficult. We, you know, we talked about this a little bit earlier about what was it. I mean, the show adapted to the people, including Ellen Stroke. And when she came back as a stroke survivor, it was groundbreaking for television and it was you know you know and it was one of the most amazing episodes we ever did, Grandma comes home. and it really she was an inspiration not only to us but to millions of people who watched her and her struggle and her triumph and coming back to work. It was hard for us to have her not be there. and it was very difficult for me on a personal level to you know to learn to deal with someone, who, who was so full of life and so strong and powerful and to come back with a limited capacity, but yet still learn how to, how to be around that. And then, of course, a little bit right after she came back, Will Gear died, and that was, that was very, very difficult as well. And For me personally, because Will died a couple of weeks after my own father did. So it was a lot of loss in a very short time for a young kid to deal with. An awful lot. When your father died, that was an extraordinarily difficult time for you. I picked that up with no challenge at all from the book. This was, it it was really hard. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still a daddy's girl. And I was a born and raised daddy's girl. So I wanted my dad's approval and I wanted, you know, everything came from him. As tough as he was on me, uh, know we had our ups and downs but my dad really gave me such a foundation for who I am right now and and who I am politically and you know act you know in my activism and and you know he was always this philanthropic guy who was always working toward other people and always trying to help people and and he he was he's very much a part of the work that I do now because he always said you know Mary B you're so lucky that you really need to give a lot more back. And it was really that was very uh, part of my my fundamental upbringing. So I was always part of a charity and a nonprofit group and always trying to give back. We're getting to that. We're almost there. He called you Mary B. Did I just hear that correctly? Yeah, Mary Beth. I mean, people who know me for a long time call me Mary Elizabeth and um, Mary Beth uh, is my name, and my dad called me Mary B. Mary B. Yes. You, go, you go by Mary. You were Mary Beth. Uh, you were credited as Mary Beth in The Waltons, and Mary Elizabeth came in. I picked that up somewhere else, and now you go just by Mary. Well, I started out as Mary Elizabeth McDonough, and it was too long because it went all the way across the screen, and then Aaron was underneath it. Ah, okay. So then it got shortened to Mary Beth, <laughs> And then, um, as I got older, I guess, you know, I did a movie of the week, and they put it as Mary McDonough, and it just kind of stuck. Mary Beth got left. Yeah. You got got all grown up is what happened. I think so, you know? (laughs) I think so. But I, I actually like Mary Beth. and. And and when somebody calls me Mary Elizabeth, you know they've known me for a long time. (laughs) Either that or you're in trouble, I suppose. (laughs) (laughs) Mary Elizabeth. Mary Elizabeth, yes, my mother. That too. Mary, could you walk us through, if there was such a thing as a typical day on the set, doing scripts, rehearsals, um, even wardrobe, can you give us just a, a snapshot of what was a typical day on the set? Well, it depended on where we were. If we were inside you know, inside the, the house, the bedrooms, and Ike store were all located on stage 26 at Warner Brothers Studio. So let's say we were doing a living room scene or a dinner table scene. Everybody would show up in the morning, and the first thing we would do would be to check in, and then we would go, usually go to school because we had to go to school for three hours a day and sometimes we'd go to school all three hours at a time or sometimes we'd go for an hour or 20 minutes or half an hour and it all had to add up to three hours within our nine-hour work day and we would come in we'd start school when it came time for our scene we would go put our wardrobe on we would rehearse and then they would while they were setting the lights in the camera we usually go back to school And then when they were ready to film they'd take us out of school and we'd go back and we'd do the scene and the shots that we needed to be in and then in between setting up the next one we'd go back to school and hope to get 20 minutes and then we'd come back and shoot the next shot whenever the camera was moved and the lights were moved and um, that's how it kind of went we we rehearsed the scenes right before we shot them and then we did them until they were done and then we would move to the next place so we'd move to the living room or to the store, or we go to the bedrooms, and all of them were done um, out of order, and then when we went outside, you know, we would pick up the scenes, you know, if you're walking into the house, you shot the part where you're walking in, probably on a different day, Mm -hmm. making sure you had the same um, hairstyle and and, um, wardrobe on. And same clothes, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So when it was a full day, we didn't work every day. So some days we just came in and went to school for three hours and then, you know, we went back home. Mm -hmm. But most of the time we were there and it was, you know, most of the day. So it's a nine hour day and I had at least an hour drive on either side of it. That's a lot of time. It's a lot of time for anyone. For a kid, it's a huge amount of time. Yeah. Were you exhausted? Sometimes, I don't ever really remember being tired, because everything was new, and I had no idea what was going on, so I just remember always trying to just figure everything out. You know, what is this? Oh, it's a script. Oh, what is that? Oh, it's wardrobe. Oh, wow, well, how does everything work? So for me, it was um, everything was new, so I, I, I was on my toes a lot. Nothing was old for you. (laughs) No. I mean, yeah, there's so much to learn. Um, That's cute. We're talking with Mary McDonough, who was Erin on The Waltons, and she is with us following the publication recent, very recent. When was the book published? Um, At the end of March. At the end of March. So we're talking brand, 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 brand new, Lessons from the Mountain, What I Learned from Erin Walton, and she's telling us what she learned from Erin Walton. Mary, every show has bloopers. Do you have a blooper that comes to mind? Oh, well, the most naughty one of all, of course, it's it's Richard and Will mooning the camera. <laughs> <laughs> mm, that was a naughty thing. <laughs> it was naughty. It's very naughty. Oh. But, yeah, most of them are just us messing up lines or Richard acting like a monkey or, you know... Just funny stuff. Michael throwing lettuce around the kitchen. (laughs) What kind of response did you get from the director or the cameraman or just anybody who was watching these antics going on? I think a lot of times when they happened, they were to blow off steam. Because we worked really long hours, and it was mm-hmm. a very, you know, dedicated group. So I think a lot of times Richard would, would, who's very funny, would do silly things just to crack the crew up. And he was a practical joker, so he would do things just to make the crew laugh, just to, to kind of break it up a bit. Mm-hmm. So they were all done and fun, and they were all put into gag reels at the end of the year. Oh, Wow. Where do we buy gag reels? You cannot buy them, and nobody really has all of them, but some of them are on YouTube. Oh, good. The we, will make sure. <laughs> we will make sure people know that. I'm, I'll tell you where I'm going after we finish. <laughs> I have a list of names. I want to give them to you one at a time. And if you could give me one or two sentences, it can be personal, it can be a commentary on their personalities, on their performances, just anything at all. Okay. You were talking about Richard Thomas, who was John Boy, as being a prankster. Tell Definitely. me, give me a sentence about him. You know, Richard played John Boy, who was one of the most sensitive, amazing characters on television. And yet Richard himself is just a laugh riot, prankster, funny, funny guy. (laughs) And like like the wonderful big brother. Really? Did he really feel like a big brother to you? He feels more like a big brother to me now, as I get older even. Yeah, he still does. How interesting. Hmm. Michael Learned who was, of course, Olivia Walton, the mother. Yes, but my word for her would be sister. Big sister, mentor, uh, someone who has guided me through some very tough times in my life and given me really great advice. Ellen Corby. Grandma Walton. Strict, smart, uh, taught me so much about acting, and as a filmmaker, I completely value everything she taught me as, as a director because she taught me how to match everything and to be aware of what was going on in the set. So she, yeah, very special. When oh, you say match everything, would you explain that? Matching is, is that thing of what we talked about, about. You have to know when you took the sip of milk and when you picked up the bread and what line you buttered it on and what line you took a bite of. Ellen was a script supervisor for Laurel and Hardy before she was an actress. Uh So script supervisors write down everything that happens. So she taught us to be aware of everything that we did and when things happened. And it's been, you know, it's been an amazing lesson for me as a filmmaker. It was a great thing for the... um For the director, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And imagine, Cammie. Cammie talks about how here she was, the youngest one, and here she was sitting by Ellen, who didn't let her stray out of line and taught her all of these things and what to do. It was perfect. Excellent. Ralph Waite, who was John Walton. (laughs) He He is Papa. He's the only dad I have left. And... I adore him. He is he is funny as well. And as you'll read in the book, not a great singing voice. <laughs> not a great singing voice. <laughs> you know, even on a, on the um, on the screen, he looks like he has a sense of humor. Even oh my when gosh, he, that twinkle in his eye. Yes. Oh my goodness, yes. Eric Scott, Ben Walton, uh, Mitch. Eric is just, you know, one of the good ones. He, um, I keep us all together in a different way, and but Eric is kind of like a, a touchstone for all of us to go to uh, about things about the show and about, you know, keeping in, in touch with people. I will gather everybody, but Eric is the one who will just um, make a phone call once a month to check in. Remarkable. John Ritter. Who played Reverend Matthew Fordwick on many episodes. Well, for me, as you know, you read the book, um, LifeSaver just touched my life so deeply in such a kooky, wild way, but yet also on such a such a deep way. He I really, really attribute him to uh, saving my life through some very difficult teen years where I where he saw I was hiding everything and encouraged me to start to write he did a good job there too now he he had a role that was a dramatic departure from what most people remember him as as uh, a member of the three's company Mm -hmm, because the Waltons was before that he is some of the best work he ever did he's amazing on the show he was so versatile Oh yeah, and oh, this is me. one of the ways that um, that he proved it. Yeah. Uh, John Conley, who was Ike, I'm one of my favorite people. Oh Joe. Joe was. Oh, Joe. Joe was so funny as Ike Godsey, and he is just a delight. Another one with a, a a smile, always a smile and a twinkle in his eye, and he used to sing to me about uh, my name. He used to sing a Mary Elizabeth song to me and he was just as sweet and wonderful as i god see i mean in just in real life he, he is that way he is He is, he's just, he is, you know, and somebody about, talking about somebody who was like so grateful, just, he was just, he was just grateful and happy to be there and just a joy to, to work with all the time. And he was really nice to us kids. He did. Okay. Now, you, you had a couple of guest appearances by people. Noah Beery was one of them. He was known also as Jim Rockford's father in the Rockford Files. Did you work with him? I didn't. You did not? No. Okay. I, when you said I did, I couldn't. I couldn't tell if it was a did or I did not. No, I didn't. You did not. How about Ron Howard? I remember Ron Howard doing the show, and he was so incredible. And I had met him because I you know, went on to the Happy Days set, and we did a lot of, you know, fundraiser charity events together. But I didn't get, I got to work with him only in the group, but his performance on that show is just heart- heartbreaking in that episode. And John Walmsley is, is amazing when he's playing, um, he's playing the, the flute that he left him. Very, very sad show. And a departure for him, too. Not Richie Cunningham, that's for sure. Not Richie Cunningham, that's no, for sure. Such a dramatic, amazing performance. Another versatile performer and into so many different aspects of the industry. Yeah. Which, which actors, either regulars or guests, did you feel you were at your best when you worked with them? Jonathan Frakes. Absolutely. He, you know, of course went on to be number one. In the Star Trek: Next Generation, but I I loved working with him as Ashley Longworth Jr. I, I just felt that we were we had really great chemistry, and we talk about it still to this day.
1: Do it, you really?
0: Mm-hmm. You know that episode was on it was repeated on one of the stations the day before yesterday, and I got to see it. The one, oh, the, the one legacy. where he showed up in uniform, and Miss yes. Emily thought it was her lover. Yes, isn't that so sweet? Oh, my gosh, that was such a sweet one. He was so great. And when they came back and did the movies of the week, he wasn't. they wouldn't wait for him. It was just the biggest mistake ever because I felt that the one where Aaron got married and they had him come back and be a bad guy, they recast it because Jonathan wasn't available. And it made no sense because they wrote it based on the chemistry that Jonathan and I had. And it just totally didn't work. It just... It was, it was really too bad because I just loved working with him. It showed. Yeah. I mean, it really it was, showed. It, it, it somehow makes a difference. It's not a show that was better or worse or good or bad. It just showed. There was a spark there. So I, I was hopeful you were going to pick that one. Yeah. Personal. Can we talk about some of the personal things? Yeah. All right. We're talking about your workshop and the name of the program that you offer to help me if i got this correct body branding getting comfortable with the skin you're in yes talk about that, how well, that it's start? one of the workshops i do and presentations and i do a lot of public speaking and it's part of how the book got written because people kept saying you have to write all this stuff down you have to tell people and share your experiences and i do i share them in you know uh, in presentations and my body branding workshop is a direct result of my being a coach and I work with people one-on-one but also in groups and different groups and you know sponsor to bring me in to different places and I'll I'll do the workshop and it focuses on everything that I went through growing up which I find so many young girls and moms and women and even men um, feel now it's that that how we vote and judge on ourselves and our bodies will say he's stupid or um, she's an idiot or he's a jock or she's ugly or, you know, they're fat. We have so many brandings that we put on other people, and I always, you know, call them like their, their emotional brandings that you put. And, and the workshop deals with how we brand and, and judge other people and ourselves and how those emotional brands can hurt us. And it, the workshop identifies what they are for different people, and we find a way to work through them and, and, um, and hopefully change lives. Are your workshops one day, one evening, one week? How do you set them up? It's usually um, – it depends on, on who brings me in. I, you know, I've done things where I've done a presentation for a couple hours in the morning, and then I do a workshop in the afternoon – uh, I really, I, a lot of times I tailor it to, um, what the event is, but usually it's, you know, it's two or, it can be half the day, um, two or three hours. And we kind of, depending on, and also depending on how many people are there. What kind of feedback have you gotten from people who have gone through a program and then gone out and tried to put it to work in their own lives? The feedback is there are often a lot of tears, <laughs> um. I think one of the most amazing things that happened, you know, a lot of times people come through and go, gosh, I guess I shouldn't vote on people or judge them so much. But more importantly, not to do that to yourself. And, you know, we deal with how that hurts other people. So I think people change their lives by noticing how much they hate themselves and or others and finding a way to stop that and noticing it is one of the first steps. Yeah. And that's a big change for a lot of people. Indeed. One of the- One of the most interesting things for me was I had a a mother-daughter group because I had moms that were there. And the mom came up to me afterwards and said, I am just speechless. I don't know what to say. I I felt like when I listened to everything that you talked about and everything everybody went through in the workshop, I realized that I was handing my daughter the same body image issues that I have carried around forever. And she said, I realize I have to stop saying the things that I say about myself and about her. Wow. So a little bit of shifting the dialogue around a bit. (laughs) You felt okay about that one? Yeah. You know, I feel, you know, I really feel that all of the things that happened to me happened for a reason. And the reason I do the work that I do And whether it's an acting for life session or a self-esteem workshop, or uh, I work in corporations a lot as well, you know, teaching people how to speak and use acting exercises to overcome fears of public speaking. And all of those things were things I was afraid of. So I feel that if I can help somebody not be as terrified or as held back as I was, Uh then it was all worth it. And that's part of the plan. I want to get to the Lupus L.A. Before I do that, where can people learn more about your workshops? MaryMcDonough.com. Everything's up there. Yeah. That's my good. coaching, there's stuff on coaching, there's stuff on my, my acting classes and acting for life and also the body branding workshop. MaryMcDonough.com. And your book is up there, too. And you'll do autographs for them. Yeah. I think that is from so nice. American. Not everybody does that. That is really nice. Tell me about lupus LA and the work that you did in Washington. Well, when I was diagnosed with lupus, I have a wonderful doctor who wrote a great book called The Lupus Book and more, Doctor Daniel Wallace. And when I was diagnosed, it was finally it was it was sort of a relief, but it was scary to have actually have a term for what I had. But Doctor Wallace decided to create a, a fundraising arm at for lupus just specifically uh, research and outreach for patients. So he came and said, I'm gonna start this group and you have to be the president of it. You have to, and I said, no, I can't do it. I, but you know, doctor's order, so I did. And uh, I, I, I was the founding president of, of this group, but we ended up calling Lupus LA, and, and now it is a very successful fundraising group. And I worked at it and with it at the very beginning. And they do wonderful outreach and raise money for research. And uh, that's how that all got started. And then I ended up going to Washington, D.C. And because of what had happened to me, because I became an outspoken person, I learned to find my own voice. And I also found out that I could help other women have a voice as well. So I, I organized rallies and taught women how to, how to have a voice in Congress and, and coached on lobby days and all kinds of things. So it's been very, very rewarding. It's, my dad always said, make good lemonade. If you put yourself back in the 10-year-old Aaron Walton role and look forward, Would you have envisioned what you do today and who you are today? No. Not by any stretch. (laughs) No. I mean, there was a part of me, I mean, I really at one point wanted to be an actress, and I really felt that I would, you know, I always joke that Laura Lenny lives my alternate reality as an actress. (laughs) But, you know, I just wanted to work. I just wanted to act. And I never really wanted to be a poster girl for a disease. But, you know, that's not what, you know, that is what happens. So I try and make the best of it. And, no, if anybody, if I'd ever been told that I was going to help other kids, you know, not be so shy at school, I would would have been amazed because I was so scared. Or that I would be a public speaker. Oh, you're kidding me? You know, my knees still knock, but I do it anyway. Do you still get the butterflies when you stand in front of a group? Do you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, and for me, I mean, I think it's, a, it's always a process. It's not like I'm perfect now because there is no perfect. I am a human being and I make mistakes. And I think in the kind of coaching that I do, um, it is very embracing of us all being human beings. And I, I mess up. And now instead of being, you know, so horrified about it, about it I try and work with it. And then just, you know, try to allow people to be human and allow myself to be the same and acknowledging that fear sometimes, it can put people at ease. Your daughter, Sydney, is doing well? She is, thank you for asking. Yeah, she is doing really great. She's in college, and, you know, she, she deals with all, all of it with grace and charm. Bless her heart. Well, she's got a great mom. We've been talking with Mary McDonough, who was Erin Walton on the Waltons, Um, She has a great book out, Lessons from the Mountain, What I Learned from Erin Walton, and we've been going through these lessons. The book is available at marymcdonough.com, kensingtonbooks.com, all of your traditional places, Amazon, and it's available on Kindle and Amazon, I found out, Barnes & Noble, but you can't get an autographed copy anywhere except from mary and kindle, kindle doesn't have pictures oh, all the that's great right. pictures that's right oh okay well cross kindle off <laughs> no Kindle shine let have go, go to, to the bookstore and look at the pictures yeah. <laughs> we've we've got to do the paper i have said forever please don't take my paper off the shelves i've got to have something to cuddle up with and in, in bed well mary you have been an absolute delight i'm just so pleased that i had an opportunity to meet you and talk with you and Make our listeners happy. Oh, thank you so much for having me. What a delight this has been. It's so nice. It's like we're sitting and having a cup of tea. And that's exactly what we're doing. Mary, thank you. And be well. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Good night.